welcome to a very special Hanukkah episode of the Arcananth podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Rivera, and this is a podcast all about people, their cultures, their religions. And today I'm very happy to introduce to you Neil Amswich. Rabbi Neil, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, Rabbi Neil. Uh, where are you calling in from today? Uh, from Santa Fe in New Mexico. I'm the rabbi at Temple Beth Shalom. Oh, amazing. How, how long have you been a, a rabbi there? Uh, five years, just over five years, in fact. Mm-hmm. For, for those who might not be familiar, um, how would you describe the different branches of Judaism there are? And, you know, which branch do you belong to? Well, I come from England. So in England, um, there are a few different branches um, from the on the left hand side, the more politically left leaning, um, the liberal movement, then the reform movement. And then you get much more conservative with the Masorti movement and the orthodox. Mm-hmm. Um, over here in America, it's similar but different. Mm-hmm. Um, what we would call reform in England um, is really conservative in America. And what we would call liberal in England, uh, they call reform here. So I've actually moved from reform communities in England, um, which balance tradition and modernity in a slightly more conservative way. I've moved from reform in England to reform in America, which is much more liberal. Interesting. Yeah. How did you first come to realize that you wanted to become a rabbi? How did you make that decision? Well, that's a bit of a long story, but I I won't take too long on it. Um, I always, my community always saw when I was a child that this was the path for me. Um, when I had my bar mitzvah ceremony, which is the coming of age ceremony um, at 13 years old, mm-hmm. I was the second person in our community to lead the entire service. Um, by the age of 16, I was giving sermons and leading the community regularly in prayer. Um, and so I became, this became something that was obviously something I was going to do. Mm -hmm. I also used to act professionally as a child. And so being in front of a large group of people was always comforting to me uh, as opposed to nerve wracking. Mm -hmm. But it was really when I went to university uh, in St. Andrews to do astrophysics, um, I would, on a Friday night, everyone would go out to the Megabop and they'd get very drunk. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. Friday night is Shabbat for Jews. Mm -hmm. So I would stay in and I would light my candles. And then um, when um, people were coming back from the Megabop, I'd just go down and say hi to my friends. Mm -hmm. And a rather extraordinary thing happened, which is I sort of became their pastor. Um, that they used to come back and they were all drunk and, oh, I've done a terrible thing and I've snogged this person and I've done this with this person (laughs) and what do I do with my life? And since I was the only sober person there, um, I ended up being the person who listened to them and and helped them through their difficulties. Mm -hmm. And this extraordinary thing happened that um, person after person used to line up and I used to have tables of people waiting for me. And I realized they, they started calling me the ear of New Hall, which was the hall where I was living, the hall of residence. Yeah. And it was a regular Friday night thing that I would be there to help people through their difficult times. Wow. And I'd be there for hours and there would be lines of people. Mm-hmm. And I realized, wow, this is really something, there's something going on here that I need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, was, it became concretized when I was in the third year of astrophysics. And a friend asked me, what do you want from a job? And I said, 
not something regular nine to five, although I had no idea how many hours rabbis do yeah. at that point. Um, something that involves maybe drama, involves being in front of a group of people, something that involves helping people, uh, that involves teaching, maybe that involves my religion. And she turned to me and she said, then you have no choice. And I said, you're right. And the next day I wrote off to the rabbinical college for a prospectus. Mm -hmm. Did the university notice that this was uh, something that you were doing on Friday nights? Oh yes, it became a thing in our hall of residence. It was a it it was a sort of pastoral function for all the students, mm-hmm. um, and um, yeah, it became an established thing while I was there. So I stayed in the same hall for four years because <laughs> there was sort of free counselling for the students. Mm-hmm. And so the decision for you was uh, was an easy decision. It was really. Um, I, my great great grandfather was a rabbi uh, from Lithuania, um, and um, I was always interested in him. And um, and I realized that part of that interest has always been my underlying interest of the rabbinate. I'm not sure I I could do other jobs, but there's nothing that would satisfy me half as much as being a mm-hmm. rabbi. Mm-hmm. What, what steps are um, typically involved in becoming a rabbi? Well, you have to, uh, at the rabbinical college where I learned, the Leo Beck College in London, um, you have to have a degree uh, before you can start training. Mm-hmm. And that's because the training in that college is an MA, it's another degree. So they need to know that you can stick it out through a degree course. So I already had uh, a degree in astrophysics, uh, a BSc from St. Andrews. And so then it's a five-year course. Um, So in essence, I spent nine years studying. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the rabbinate, the the course was, it's a huge course. You're learning Hebrew and Aramaic, uh, which is a a language that's similar but different to Hebrew. Mm -hmm. Um, You're learning Bible and Bible commentaries, you're learning rabbinic codes, um, which are rabbinic responses um, and uh, attempts to codify laws. You're learning about festivals and rituals, mm-hmm. and also the practical aspects of being a rabbi, like how to balance the books at the temple and how to deal with challenging congregants. And especially importantly, there was a lot of focus on pastoral work, mm-hmm. on how to support people in need. So it's um, it's a big step, actually. And uh, it's not a course that you take lightly because, um, as I say, it's five years of intense study that ends up with an MA, with a master's. Mm-hmm. I, I think the course was called Hebrew and Jewish Studies, mm-hmm. although, strictly speaking, it was much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and how many times have you been to Israel and for, for how long? Um, I've been to Israel twice. Um, the first time was just for a couple of weeks. Um, the second time was for three months. Mm-hmm. I actually went, uh, this was a while ago, a number of years ago. I went um, actually just before I started studying to be a rabbi. Um, so it has been quite a while. Yeah. Um, I went to study at an ultra-Orthodox yeshiva, which is a study place. Um, If you stand at the Western Wall and turn around, it's right there. Um, And that was me really looking into a different branch of Judaism to see if that was for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the end of three months, I realized that wasn't where I was, and I had to come home and learn some more. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I've been a couple of times, well, I guess a total of about three or four Mm -hmm. months. Yeah. 
When, when you were younger, uh, what was your relationship with your faith? And then as you were undergoing this, um, you know, becoming a rabbi, how did you find your relationship with your faith changing? Um, I was brought up in the British reform movement, which was quite conservative. So um, every time there was a major festival, we would take time off school. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not just Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the festivals around the new year. That's also um, all the other major festivals as well. Even though I went to a Church of England school, 60% um, of the students there were Jewish. So it wasn't much of an issue. Mm -hmm. But we would go to services every Friday and every Saturday, um, and I would go to the Torah study breakfasts when they were on in the mornings. Um, I became, yeah, really quite involved in the community from an early age. Mm -hmm. I guess my relationship was, um, I found community extremely comforting, and I found the Jewish search um, a really powerful way to ask questions. For me, Judaism isn't about the answer, it's about the question. Mm -hmm. So um, in the book of Genesis, Jacob wrestles with an angel, uh, or with God, depends how you understand it, and is renamed Yisrael, which means he struggled with God. And so for me, as I grew older, that struggle developed more. Mm -hmm. While I was a student rabbi, um, it's fair to say I had my faith profoundly shaken. Um, at the end of the second year, a housemate and very close friend of mine, student rabbi Andreas Hintz, was unfortunately murdered. Mm -hmm. And I really struggled with the faith implications of that. And over the period of the next year, I came to totally re-understand my relationship with God, uh, my relationship with the world, what good and evil means. Um, and I would say my Judaism matured dramatically, changed, um, moved away, I would say, from supernaturalism um, to much more about what does it mean to live a godly life? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to lead a good life in the lens of our tradition. Mm -hmm. So it was, a, it was a big yeah. change. You mentioned earlier that, you know, you were doing astrophysics when you were at St. Andrews. I was wondering, is there any relationship there between you being a Jew and also studying something like astrophysics? Is there any connection there? Interestingly, uh, I remember when I was um, graduating from the Leo Beck College, uh, I looked at the list of former graduates mm -hmm. and 60% of them were scientists. Something about the search, something about not just accepting the world as it is, mm -hmm. but looking and exploring and asking questions. Why is the universe this way? Mm -hmm. uh, why does why do photons come off stars? Why are black holes? What does it mean for us that the universe is accelerating uh, as it expands, which is not what we ever expected? Mm -hmm. All these questions, I think, again, the, the act of questioning is in and of itself a profoundly Jewish endeavor. Right. So I think as much as there are people who come to rabbinic school with religion degrees and philosophy degrees, I think those who come with a science degree just come from a different line of questioning. Mm -hmm. A questioning that, I guess, in the scientific method that breaks things down into their constituent parts mm -hmm. to see as small as you can go. 
Whereas for me, Judaism or religion in general tends to ask questions that, that go the other way, that help us connect to something which is larger than ourselves. Right, yeah. And so I think it's a bit of both, mm -hmm. that um, a, a natural restlessness mm -hmm. with the world as it is, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And so like this is a, an archaeology and anthropology podcast, and I'm wondering in your work and, and also just in, in life, do you have an interest in these subjects as well at all? I. It's interesting. I had, when I was at this ultra-Orthodox yeshiva so many years ago, they actually shared some books with me to say how archaeology totally proved the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I was blown away by that because I had never heard that before. And so, um, but I was naturally a bit skeptical. And so I took these books and I read them. And when I left, I actually booked myself a present, which was to go and meet with the curator of the Western Asiatic Department at the British Museum. Wow. Yeah. And I, I went in, it was actually on my birthday, and I, um, I said to this person, I've been told, I've been shown that um, archaeology proves the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to get your perspective on that. And he was extremely tolerant. Um, he did not laugh me out of his office, um, but he really showed me how I had um, lost that scientific perspective and I had put religious claims first and then tried to prove them uh, with the Bible uh, and so on, mm -hmm. uh, with archaeology, I mean. Mm -hmm. And so actually it's been very interesting for me to, um, to look at archaeology in particular uh, particularly the archaeology of the Levant. And, and I sometimes give talks at my temple and in other places about what does archaeology actually say and then what does that mean to us as people who read the Bible, mm -hmm. as opposed to going the other way and forcing our reading of the Bible onto anything you might find in the ground. So particularly archaeology, I would say. Fascinating. And then what have you found through this uh, sort of inquiry? Um, I think for me, it has reinforced uh, my understanding of Reform Judaism, which is that Reform Judaism, I think all different branches of Judaism believe that Torah, which is the, the Bible, the, particularly the first five books of the Bible, mm -hmm. Torah comes from God. But I think we all understand that very differently. There are Jews, uh, many Jews in the world who believe that that is literal and that what is in the Bible um, is archaeologically true. And if you can't find that in the archaeology, then your archaeology is wrong. Mm -hmm. But that's not where I come from at all. Um, I come from a perspective of what do we see in the ground, and therefore what can we learn. So, for example, um, when you look at Jericho, um, Albright, I think it was, um, went to Jericho and said, you know, you can see where the walls have fallen, but the dates are different. Um, there was a, a famous telegram that went back to London. Um, I think it was, was it Leonard Woolley? It might have been, mm -hmm. who sent a telegram back to London saying, I have found the flood. Um, but that's, that's, that's how archaeology, biblical archaeology used to be. Mm -hmm. Start with the Bible and end with archaeology. But this going the other way means that we can be much more liberal with our understanding of Torah. Yeah. So when I say Torah comes from God, for me that means 
it was our first attempt at understanding what God might want from us. Mm -hmm. And so the stories in the Torah aren't historical anyway, because the concept of history as we have it was totally different back then. It was woven into mythology. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that research has given me a lot of permission to not take the Bible literally and to be able to understand it in its historical context and to say, okay, well, that's how they understood God and that's how they understood their origins. Mm -hmm. It seems that may not totally be the case. Mm -hmm. This brings me to um, like my next question, which is um, about this uh, exact, you know, sort of variation that there is in people's understanding. Um, And also there's a lot of variation, I think, in a lot of uh, practice and, and ritual and engagement with religion. And I was wondering what your opinion is on this variation that exists today. That's something that's always existed in Judaism. Mm -hmm. There have always been different branches of Judaism. And in history, they often said, we're right and you're wrong. Um, The reform movement started around 200 years ago, just over 200 years ago, and is a way of embracing the plurality of the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Because in every community, there are some people who are more devout than others, some people who are more ritually observant than others, some people who engage more in social justice than others, some people who prefer theological discussion uh, compared with others. And that's actually, for me, the strength of the Jewish community, um, in that the diversity of Judaism is what has kept us alive and what's kept us going for so long. That sacred dialogue between Jews who disagree and the disagreement isn't nowadays, Mm -hmm. at least certainly for us in the reform movement, isn't we're right, you're wrong. It's this is what I believe and I hear what you believe and let's discuss, let's debate and let's learn and grow from each other. And the Jewish um, concept of of debate is so fundamental that um, one text talks about God dwelling over those who discuss, essentially. Um, So it's not the search for right answers, it's the search for discussion and growth. So, So plurality of practice and thought is really important in Judaism. Mm-hmm. Fundamental. And uh, so when this goes up, we are going to be nearing the end of the year. And I'm wondering in 2019, what what is your opinion on Judaism in today's sort of social climate? I think there are days when I am a rabbi and I think, why am I doing this job? Why, why would anybody pay me for this? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's not often though, because there are many days when I sit and think this work is crucial. Because Judaism is profoundly centered around community. It's not about the individual or salvation or anything like that. It's about community. And God knows the world needs community right now. We need people to be coming together to learn from each other. We're so divided and fractured in our society, socially and intellectually and economically, racially, that um, the importance of community, I think, has never been more important. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would add to that, um, a lot of Jewish environmentalism, a lot of religious environmentalism is really coming to the fore now. 
because Judaism particularly, I can talk from my faith perspective, Judaism has a real concept of generational thinking. Mm -hmm. It's not just about us. It's about generations who've gone before and generations to come. I believe that faith communities establish narratives, social narratives Mm -hmm. that we in turn adopt, sometimes without even realizing. And if the faith communities hold that the earth is ours for plundering and for doing whatever we want with, because who cares? Because ultimately all that matters is life in the world to come. Then, of course, our society is going to do the same. But if we can focus, as Judaism really uh, certainly did in the Torah and is certainly returning to very strongly around the world, if Judaism and if religions can focus on the here and now, on helping those in need, but also on thinking about this world to come, mm-hmm. not, not a future heaven or anything like that, but what is the state of this world to come and what is our responsibility towards it, I think that's extremely important. Mm-hmm. So I think Judaism and religious communities in general Um, are uniquely placed, especially because of the number of followers that we have, Mm -hmm. are uniquely placed to help forge a new narrative, um, a new theology. And that's, in fact, I'm slowly writing a book on this, on trying to create a new religious environmental narrative, as a number of other religious thinkers are doing. Yeah, that's great. Is there anything, um, yeah, I was going to ask you whether there was anything interesting we can say about whether like young people are engaging with, uh, or engaging in Jewish community differently from older generations, but from what you, uh, from what you just said, it sounds like the community is pretty united and, uh, you know, different generations are learning from each other. Um, I, I, I think there are differences. Okay. I think this com- that there's still I think that's part of the strength of the dialogue for me and 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 bear in mind I come from a particular community Temple Beth Shalom here is a very unified very loving warm embracing diverse community so it's easy for me to say that I know there are other Jewish communities where people don't feel the same. So as much as I want to paint a rosy picture of all Jewish communities, I I don't want to paint a disingenuous one. Mm -hmm. But I do think there are differences in spirituality. I think that previous generations have expected um, Jews to engage in services and in the community because that's what you do. And I think as we step away from slowly, painfully slowly, from patriarchy and authority in our society, particularly the younger generation, the question becomes, but why? What's in it for me? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people who call themselves spiritual but not religious, we see that a lot more now. And I think that's because of a perspective that religion is cold and stultified and dogmatic Whereas certainly Reform Judaism, the movement I come from, it's, it's the exact opposite. It's vibrant and engaging. Mm-hmm. A nice Rabbi Tony Bayfield uh, from the Movement for Reform Judaism in England used to talk about dwellers and seekers, that some people in communities are dwellers and they just want to rest safe and comfortable in the community, and others are seekers. They want to push the community boundaries. Mm-hmm. And In different times, we are all dwellers or seekers. Mm -hmm. And I think the strength of certainly communities like this one, where I'm very lucky to be the rabbi, 
is that we can hold dwellers where they are, and they do often tend to be older, um, and the seekers who tend to be younger, but not always, um, the seekers, we can help be with them as they explore differing approaches to Judaism, differing forms of spirituality, mm-hmm. um, sometimes reclaiming forms of Judaism that haven't really been expressed for hundreds of years, mm-hmm. but bringing those rituals and those mm-hmm. um, those thought patterns out. Yeah, uh, and so it, one of the most important aspects is then that you come back all together again as a community to explore what everyone has been thinking about. I think in part, but... But sometimes the strength of the Jewish community is the trust that everyone else is doing whatever they need. So it's not my place to bring everyone. We have 800 and something people in our community. Mm -hmm. We can't even get them all in one room at the same time. Mm -hmm. But maybe over the high holy days, the big festivals will have 450 people who come together and pray, but then we'll have a discussion about those prayers where we'll have differing opinions. Mm -hmm. But there are some people who are connected to our community and who are Jewish um, because they're raising their kids Jewish. There are some who are who express their Judaism through going to help at the homeless shelter. Right. There are some who are Jewish only because they or express their Judaism only by coming to Torah study. And sometimes these groups of people never meet. But we know that the community itself is reaching out and helping Jews um, explore their Judaism however they need it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes coming together and saying, what do you need and what do you need is important. But sometimes the nature of community is that it's so large that you can't bring everyone together. You just have to help them individually or in groups. Yeah. Uh, And how would you describe your um, typical work that happens over a week? (laughs) There there definitely is no typical work week. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes uh, we will, I I often have meetings because as a rabbi, I supervise uh, a number of members of staff at the temple. Mm -hmm. I will often have pastoral visits where I uh, will go to a hospital or go to members' homes uh, and spend time with them. Sometimes there are life cycle rituals like a birth or a funeral uh, that I'll lead. Sometimes I will be teaching um, in a class at the temple mm-hmm. or, or even at a local interfaith community. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm very lucky here. Um, I have a radio show here um, and we turned that into a podcast um, called Soul Searching, Hmm. um, where I interview local clergy um, and academics and artists. So sometimes I'm recording those. Um, Sometimes it's forward development and planning, um, trying to work out what does the community want. Sometimes it's sitting down and solving a budget uh, issue. Um, so, and sometimes it's people coming to my office to talk about particular personal things that they need to explore, mm-hmm. sometimes spiritual, sometimes personal, pastoral. So every week is totally different. I have a thing in January where I'm going to be on a panel of interfaith leaders and, uh, actors for the Merchant of Venice, which is playing locally. And so I'm going to be talking about Shakespeare and the Jews and what does it mean to have the stereotype of Shylock in the Merchant of Venice. Mm -hmm. So it's 
one of the joys of my job is it is constantly different mm-hmm. every day. Um, yes, I do send a lot of emails. I do spend a lot of time at the computer. I acknowledge that. And there's also, I forgot to mention, leading services, mm-hmm. the Shabbat services, uh, Shabbat education sessions, and teaching at religious school on the Sundays, sometimes on a Wednesday evening as well. So it really is profoundly different every day, which is wonderful. It, it's, it actually shows the vibrancy and the strength of community. And sometimes I even get a chance to sit down and read and study, mm-hmm. um, which, is, which is really important as well. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, um, when this episode goes out, it will be a very special week uh, indeed. And I'm wondering, can you describe some of the uh, rituals and the, the meaning behind uh, Hanukkah? So Hanukkah is a, it, it's a fascinating festival. It's a minor festival, which has become much larger in Jewish communities around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the word Hanukkah means dedication, and it's based around a narrative that appears um, mainly in the Apocrypha, in the Book of Maccabees, but also much later in the Talmud. Uh, there's a story in the Talmud that um, when the Maccabees fought the Seleucids to regain control of Jerusalem, which is described in depth in the books of Maccabees. Mm -hmm. In those books of Maccabees, I should say, it's a war account that ends with them retaking the temple and then celebrating the festival of Sukkot, um, which they hadn't been able to celebrate. And so for eight days, they uh, celebrated a festival late, essentially. Mm-hmm. But the narrative in the Talmud is very different. Uh, and this is an account that comes about 800 years after um, the events. Uh, and that describes a miracle of oil. Um, and that the everlasting light, which was an oil lamp, um, only had enough oil for one day. And they needed to travel a long way to get oil. And so the oil, a miracle of oil is said to have happened, and uh, the oil lasted for eight days. Mm -hmm. We tend to tell children the second story, um, the story about being a light in darkness and the idea that all light is miraculous and and it's important for us especially in the winter to shed shed the darkness away by, by providing our light mm-hmm. historically um that it's the the narratives in the book of maccabees suggest actually what happened was more like a civil war between um assimilated jews and zealous jews um, who wanted to protect Judaism from assimilation mm. and who ultimately did uh, win out over assimilated Jews who were backed by the Seleucids. So the rituals uh, that we have according to contemporary custom are, don't really relate to that difficult narrative. They relate much more to the story of the oil, to the miracle of the oil. Mm. And so we light candles. Um, we light an increasing number of candles each day uh, on a Chanukiah, a, a nine-branched candelabrum. Uh, and we put that out in the window to show everyone the miracle of, of spreading light, basically. Interesting. We, we also eat oily foods. Um, Judaism has never been the healthiest of religions in terms of our ritual customs. Mm-hmm. So there is an old saying with our festivals, they tried to kill us, we beat them, let's eat. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And um, so on Hanukkah, we eat uh, foods that are fried in oil. 
um, just again to remember this story of the oil. So we'll often have latkes, which are potato pancakes fried, um, and donuts, um, which are very popular around this time. Mm -hmm. um, and there's another ritual of sorts. It's, it's a game, but it's an important teaching ritual. It's called dreidel, which is a spinning top. Yeah. And on the dreidel, um, there are four different letters. And each letter stands for um, the first letter in the Hebrew phrase, which means a great miracle happened there. Mm -hmm. Although if you're in Israel, the letters change slightly and it's a great miracle happened here. And so what you do is kids gather around and they play dreidel. And by doing that, they learn their Hebrew letters, but they also get to learn the story because then they say, well, what great miracle happened? And then you can tell the narrative. Uh -huh. So it's not a ritual per se, but it's a very common thing for people to do. Mm -hmm. And so they often um, uh, gamble essentially for uh, what became known as guilt, um, which is money, like um, chocolate coins often tend to be a real um, favorite at this time with kids. Yep. Um, and some people, especially seeing the commercialization of Christmas um, that happened in the larger society, some people go from guilt to presents instead. And um, that's why I never felt left out as a Jew when I was younger, because um, other communities or other individuals have one day of presence, but some people, some Jews, have eight days of presence. Mm -hmm. So Hanukkah is kind of awesome that way. Mm -hmm. um, but there are other ritual things, as inclusion of uh, a particular paragraph in our prayers, in our daily prayers, that remembers the miracle of overcoming um, extraordinary military odds and the miracle of oil. So it's a time really of celebrating light in darkness and, and, and really trying to think about what are miracles in our lives. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily supernatural miracles, but what is miraculous in our life and how do we use that appreciation of those miracles to bring light to others. Mm -hmm. can, can you give an example uh, of, of what that might be? Well, I guess it's different for all people. For me, I, I see life as miraculous. I remember seeing the first ultrasound when my first child um, was on her way and just being so awestruck mm -hmm. with how incredible, how mind-bending it is that from a tiny drop in a tiny egg, that a heartbeat can form, that a spine can form, a brain can form. Um, the idea of life in general, in what we currently understand as a largely lifeless universe, mm -hmm. the fact that there is so much life teeming on this planet means that celebration of life, I think, is really important for us. And so for me, especially, that is something that I like to really bring out. Mm -hmm. Here in Santa Fe, we have staggering sunsets, mm -hmm. mind-blowing. We're at 6,000 feet and the air is clear and sunsets of colors that just make no sense to me. <laughs> and I I'd never, when I was brought up in London, I mean, even seeing the sun was a miracle when I was in London. <laughs> mm -hmm. but, um, but here, just all that life, we're so, because we're in a high altitude desert here, for me, all life is really special and tenuous. Mm -hmm. And that for me is, is something really miraculous, worth, worth celebrating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great, great messages uh, and, and great 
great miracles. Uh, I, you know, thank you for, for sharing that. Um, Rabbi Neil, I think I'm thinking of closing the show soon. Um, I would love to learn uh, what you have to say about, uh, for those people out there who are um, non-Jewish, but they would maybe like to learn a little bit more about Judaism or Israel or Hanukkah. Uh, do you have any ideas for those uh, listeners out there? Uh, or do you have any resources or books that you would want to recommend? There's an old saying uh, in Judaism, in Hebrew, it's Asay Lecha Rav, mm -hmm. which means get yourself a teacher. Um, I was just uh, earlier today uh, re reading a book with our interfaith book group. And um, in that book, um, the author was talking about if you want to learn about a religion, go and talk to the people who practice it. Mm -hmm. Don't learn it from a book. Don't learn it from other people. Don't learn it from faith leaders who tell you in Judaism, they do this. Mm -hmm. But seek out, seek out a local community. Um, see if there are uh, other, see if there are rabbis, teachers locally who can teach you. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really important to be able to to go to local Jewish communities and say, what is Judaism to you? And understand that that is very much their view of Judaism, just as what I've shared is, is just my view of Judaism mm -hmm. and not representative of Judaism around the world or even Judaism in our temple. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, I, I strongly suggest personally, from a personal perspective, looking at the Movement for Reform Judaism website in England or the Union for Reform Judaism website in America. But that's because I'm a Reform Jew. Um, others may suggest looking at Masorti or conservative websites or orthodox websites mm -hmm. um, or books. So for me, I think it's important to, to just say, if you want to know more about Judaism, find out where local Jews are and, and ask them respectfully because they'll always be interested in sharing thoughts. Mm -hmm. And if you can't find them, of course, that's a different matter, but the Jewish community is spread in small number all around the world. Um, and if you can't find anyone, then hopefully look me up, Rabbi Neil Amswich at Temple Beth Shalom, and I'll try to uh, I'll try to help you find some. Right. Yeah. And is this a sort of thing that you uh, also talk about on your podcast, uh, Soul Searching? We talk about, actually, soul searching is uh, more about the deeper questions of meaning. What mm -hmm. is life? Why are we here? Is there good and evil? Is there right and wrong? Or, um, is there life after death? Um, and these questions we ask of uh, interfaith leaders and uh, academics from the local uh, theological college um, and also local artists because Santa Fe is well known for its art. Mm -hmm. So um, these kind of questions, but in even more depth, um, when I have um, I, I, I get in touch with people and say, what do you want to talk about? And one person wrote back and said, Nietzsche. I want to talk about Nietzsche. So I thought, okay, I'll learn about Nietzsche. And, and I wrote him questions and I said, are these questions any good? And he said, no, we'll just wing it. And I thought, no, I can't do that. I don't know anything. So it's a process of me learning, but particularly me learning about my own Judaism. Mm -hmm from hearing other people in other faith traditions share what their faith tradition means to them and being able to contrast it and say, well, that's interesting because for me, um, this is different or for me, this is similar. And then that gets hopefully all the listeners to be able to reflect on their own views. And mm. if that person thinks that, what do I think as well? So it's, it's something I love doing. So um, yeah, thank you for mentioning that. 
Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so where can people find this podcast or where can they find you if they have any questions about your interview? Um, the podcast you can find in all your usual podcast outlets. Um, it's called Soul Searching by Temple Beth Shalom. There's a nice picture of a sort of starry night and an individual staring at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's us. Um, and if you need to get in touch with me, um, look up Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Um, and uh, we have email addresses and you can contact us through the website. Um, so uh, there's many ways you can get in touch. Amazing. Uh, and, and before we go, uh, I would like to ask you if you can come up with a hashtag for this episode. It's usually something that we have talked about or something meaningful to the guests so that listeners can use it um, to indicate on social media that they've heard all the way to the end. It's kind of like a little secret hidden uh, right at the very end. Can you think of a good hashtag? Um, wow, that's a really <laughs> interesting... Um, I don't know, maybe hashtag British rabbi. British rabbi. Or, uh, hashtag soul searching mm-hmm. or hashtag um, asking questions. Okay. Um, good. Yeah, that's, that's a difficult one. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, all three of those sound great. So I think that uh, listeners should just use anyone that they feel particular affinity to or all, all three of them. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so listeners, if you like this episode with Rabbi Neil, then definitely let us know with those hashtags on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Reddit. Our podcast is also on all of the usual podcast apps And I would like to thank the patrons of the show who keep the show going, allowing me to uh, host such interviews uh, with all of these guests. Rabbi Neil, thank you so much for being today's guest interview. Thank you very much. And to those who are celebrating Hanukkah, I wish you a happy Hanukkah. And to those who aren't celebrating Hanukkah, I hope you have a wonderful uh, 2020, a year of health and happiness and uh, searching for deeper meaning and uh, connecting to um, uh, all of us around in a world that needs very strong connection. Oh, yeah. I I wish you the same too, Rabbi Neil. Thank you. (laughs) listeners i'll have another episode out for you soon thank you so much for listening to this one goodbye goodbye thanks very much